Thank you so much, Mr. Gopal Balchandran, for joining today to talk about insurance. So for everyone's benefit, Mr. Gopal Balchandran is the Chief Financial Officer and Chief Risk Officer of ICICI Lombard General Insurance Company Limited. He has been associated with ICICI Lombard for close to two decades and heads the finance and accounts, investor relations, risk management, mid and back office investments, and internal control and loss minimization functions for the company. Prior to ICICI Lombard, he was with ICICI Bank. Mr. Balchandran has been instrumental in making ICICI Lombard the first Indian non-life insurance company to be listed. He has won the CFO 100 award in multiple categories such as risk management, cost management, and financial reporting, one of the most revered awards for CFOs in India. Mr. Gopal is a qualified chartered accountant by profession and he's been a pioneer of excellence in financial reporting and corporate governance for India Inc. There's so much we can learn and there's so much that we can understand with the kind of background that you come from. So, you know, the first question, Gopal, I would immediately get into is, are you optimistic about the insur insurance industry's future? Um, first of all, good evening, everyone. And um, the first and the foremost thing is, I hope all of us are staying safe and healthy. Because uh, in this untested environment, that's the first thing that we have to kind of make sure ourselves uh, to be uh, safe at all times. Um, honestly, the kind of introduction that you gave in terms of my background, I think I don't think uh, it's as big as what it is. But one has tried to be uh, 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 as as much as what one can do is what one have tried, and um, try to create an institution which will kind of survive for years to come. I think that's a larger objective that we all kind of work with. And um, with that kind of a backdrop, I think let's look at, um, I mean, if, let me just kind of talk you through how my uh, entry into the non-life space happened. Because you said that I kind of worked with ICSA Bank, maybe spent about a couple of years. But honestly, if you ask me, I think within the group, there used to be this internal job profile movements that could have happened. It's called IJP. I'm all of you are kind of familiar with. And at that point of time, there was this rotation that was possible within the group. And there was this opportunity that came through in terms of a sector that was as nascent as in 2001, 2002. And there was this IJP posting that came through saying that there is a small role in finance that one is looking for. And to that extent, one was completely in two minds. Because the reason why I'm trying, trying to correlate this is in terms of the opportunity that the sector has presented. One, you are working for an institution for in terms of banking, which is a well laid down institution. But two, you are kind of thinking about working for a sector who you do not even know as to what could happen to the future. Yeah. Which one you kind of go with is completely a, anyone's guess. Honestly, without thinking, thanks, thankfully age was on my side at that point of time. And uh, one decided to take my plunge into the non-life space uh, in India. Now let's look at how, why we are very much excited about this whole industry. Since the time, as I said, the sector was opened up in 2000, 2001. If you look at, it's been about 20 years of the sectors being in existence. If you look at the growth that the industry has commanded, it has commanded a compounded growth of 17%. Consistently for the last two decades, there will be very few industries which would command that kind of a compounded growth for, the, for a two decade kind of a time period. So clearly that's one set of excitement that keeps us motivated in terms of how do we see the growth prospect for the sector as such. But even though the sector has grown at, let's say, 17% CAGR over 
the 20 year period let's look at penetration levels of the sector and you look at penetration as a percentage of gdp Shraddha, you want to put a guess on what would be the percentage of non-life premiums to the GDP of the country? You know, now don't put me in a spot. You have done it for two decades, you say. Okay, great. So let me kind of reveal the suspense on that. So I think if you look at uh, the non-life insurance penetration in India, is about 0.97% of GDP. Wow, really? Yeah, wow. just 0.97%. But if you look at the global average, that's at about 2.8%. So clearly, in terms of the opportunity that is there in this particular space, it's immense. And that's where we are kind of extremely excited insofar as the opportunity of the space is concerned. Now, let's look at what will drive the growth momentum of this segment. Now, all of us, if you look at from the Indian country as a standpoint, let's look at what proportion of our people are working population. There again, I'm sure you will be able to do a better guess. It's two thirds of the people are in that working population age. And all of us have an aspiration to kind of own an asset because you would obviously want to kind of work hard, whether it is business or whether it is, let's say, profession. At the end of the day, this is the money that we all earn. You always have an aspiration to, let's say, own an asset. And to begin with, it could be as simple as owning a vehicle, a motor car. It could logically get progressed into, let's say, owning a house. It could then further kind of get into a logical progression of owning some kind of an artifact. And beyond a particular point of time, you would want to kind of get yourself reasonably protected so that in case if anything happens to you, there is someone who will be able to take the benefit of the insurance that you have kind of taken, uh, taken for. So in each of the segments, now let's look at the opportunity that's there in each of the segments that I spoke about. Let's take motor. We all use vehicles for commuting. Now, if you look at roughly in the Indian market, there are about 24 crore vehicles that ply on the road. You want to make a guess on what proportion of vehicles are without an insurance today? <laughs> 20 crores. 20 crores. <laughs> you are almost there. It's only about half the vehicles that is without with an insurance. Yeah. So the rest half of the population is today without an insurance at all. The vehicles are still flying on the road. That's where the opportunity lies in so far as, let's say, motor segment is concerned. Now let's look at, maybe let's go to health. Uh, you want to make a guess on what proportion of the country would have some form of health cover. When I say some form of health cover, it could include an individual taking a cover for himself or herself or, or their family members. Or it could be, let's say, a corporate taking a cover for their employees. Or it could be, let's say, even a government kind of organizing a sponsored program for providing insurance for the vulnerable section of the society. You want to hazard a guess on what proportion of uh, the population has an insurance today? Very, very minim minimal. Minimum. Very, very minimal, right? So that's what we all are. Uh, we all know about it. But just to kind of get some uh, coming from a finance background to put some stats around it, I think it's one third of the country. Wow is just one third of the country have those forms of insurances. We have a huge headroom in terms of the ground to cover when you look at the opportunity in the health insurance space. Let's move on. I said there could be an aspiration to own a home, right? Now let's look at how many of us really bother to insure our homes. Maybe if all of those who are living in societies, they may possibly say, Mera, it's not my responsibility, it's society's responsibility. They would kind of take some insurance cover. I'm not even bothered about what's happening. But at the end of the day, 
if while those are in instances where you are living in societies, but there are equally, let's say, standalone homes which are in existence. And let me, instead of making you hazard a guess on what proportion of homes are insured, let me kind of talk about it. Less than 1% of the homes are insured. Wow. No mm. one feels the need to have uh, coverage of insurance for their homes for the simple reason people believe kuch nahi hoga. nothing will happen to our homes. But as and when, let's say, a catastrophic event starts to hit, immediately you will see there is a huge splurge in the number of inquiries that happen. Saying that there has been a catastrophic event that has happened, I need to now protect my homes. But that kind of an inquiry splurge or, an or a demand that you see lasts for just about, let's say, two or three months. Uske baad, things comes back to normal. People believe, Are, do ho gaya, nothing has happened to my homes. Why do I need to bother to insure my homes? So things continues as business as usual. But that's the opportunity in so far as the coverage for home insurance is concerned. Look at corporates. Let me talk about why large corporates, because they are large in size, they are kind of reasonably governed, well-governed companies. Let's look at relatively small and medium enterprises. They may not be making so much of, in that sense, while they are in the phase of growth. But there, if you see the proportion of, even they are required to insure their assets. They are required to insure their workers. They are required to insure their employees. But again, the numbers are no different. Even when you look at it from the SME standpoint, the proportion of uh, persons who get an insurance cover is next to nothing. So clearly across segments, when you see the opportunity for growth on the non-life insurance space is significant and more so, I think given some of the numbers that I kind of spoke for, there is no reason why this sector should not continue to exhibit beyond growth momentums that we have seen of the past. While there could be some temporary dislocations, I'm sure at this point of time, everyone is in a frame of gloom and doom. People are perceiving that nothing will happen. Everything will get impacted. That's true. Of course, things get impacted. But let's look at the long-term long, long prospect. I mean, we are definitely going to come out of it. There is no reason for us to not, while temporarily we may put some of our buying decisions at hold, but there is no reason for us to not look at the long-term prospect. We will come back. We have come out of crises. And hence, I am a firm believer that the opportunity of growth in this sector is enormous considering the level of penetration that I spoke about. Tell me, what are some of the growth opportunities for ICICI Lombard? Have they changed? What are some of the new things that you see? If so, how? So Absolutely. I think when you look at from an ICICI Lombard perspective, I think the way we have gone about writing businesses have been on the core theme of profitable growth because it's not just about writing businesses i think you can easily achieve enormous levels of revenue growth as an organization but more importantly there are equally obligations that you have so far as your various stakeholder outcomes are concerned mm. you need to kind of strike a right balance both in terms of growth and in terms of the profitability outcome that you want you would want to desire as an organization now, that's why we have kind of looked at profitable growth as a theme in the way we have run our businesses. Now, let me talk about while I spoke specifically on each segments where we saw an opportunity. Let me narrate how we see in each of these lines growth levers playing out for ICC Lombard. Let me take in this case, let me flip it the other way around. Let me start with corporate uh, insurances. If you look at corporate insurances, 
the typical conversation that you will have with a corporate is to say that I did experience a particular loss and therefore the price for renewal that the insurance company will offer to that corporate will be X. On that basis, the corporate may say, okay, either the corporate could like the price, in which case the renewal of the policy happens, or else if some other insurance company is willing to give a better price, the corporate may say, let me take a walk. Mm. They may look for an alternate insurance provider. Mm. And what we have tried to do on the corporate insurance side is to completely move away the conversation away from price. Mm. How do you do that? I think today, insurance companies are largely looked as risk transfer partners. I mean, you kind of take the risk of a corporate and you kind of manage the risk of the corporate. But instead of that, if you're able to strike a conversation and position yourself as a risk management partner, wherein what you end up doing is instead of just saying that this is your loss experience, this is the price for renewal, you get into what causes a loss. And if you're able to bring down those incidents of losses, the price for the renewal becomes extremely superior and the continuity of the corporate with the insurance company tends to be much, much longer. Mm. Now let me give you a couple of examples so that we can, we can all relate to it. It all started off with a simple segment on marine transit. Now marine transit, while it sounds technical, in simple terms, it is transit of goods from point A to point B for which you take an insurance cover. The typical reasons why there could be a loss that can happen on that transit could be hijacks that could happen on end route or there could be pilferage resulting from various hijack events that have happened. Mm. All that we instituted in this regard was to put in a GPS tracker as a part of the cargo which carried the goods. Now, as a result of the GPS tracker, it emits signals or kind of does a red flagging of instances where the vehicle has taken a detour or has been a stationary mode and various kind of alerts. You are able to immediately swing into action and possibly avoid what otherwise would have been a hijack attempt. Mm. And in the process, you have minimized a loss. Now look at the conversation now that I will be able to have with you. I will come to you and say that I have been instrumental in bringing down a possible hijack event. And therefore, there has been no claims that your portfolio has got subject to. And hence, the price for renewal is far superior. Now look at the conversation that you will be able to have with us today. You will always look upon for such companies in terms of continuity of insurance. One more example I will just narrate quickly. If you look at another common reason why a loss happens is because of, let's say, fire risk events. And in most of the offices, not to demean any of the corporates, but just to if they would all have fire extinguishers. But the unfortunate part is, Whenever you wanted to use those fire extinguishers, the water pressure that is relevant is not of the right levels. So what do you do when in times of need, the extinguishers does not necessarily work in the manner you would have exhibited and therefore you succumb to a loss. Now here again, again, thanks to advancement in technology, there are IOT devices that are available, which can actually monitor water pressures. And that can send signals to the factory managers who is sitting at a distance and to the insurance company. So again, you are able to kind of minimize the loss that the corporate would have exhibited. So that's on the corporate side in terms of what, how we are looking at growth playing out. SME, when I spoke about that, uh, there is a huge underpenetration on the SME portfolio. The opportunity that we are seeing on use of 
technology is significant and in these times what we have seen is our sme portfolio has continued to demonstrate significant levels of growth again thanks to the level of digital adoption that even our distributors have done and we were able to kind of significantly foresee growth on the sme portfolio as well let me talk about the other two segments health when i said health today one third of the country has got some of some form of health covered but if you look at insurance what cover you take for is hospitalization insurance agar kuch bimari ho gayi any ailment happens you get yourself hospitalized the insurance will pay for the policy mm. but look at it it's not just about hospitalization expenses that we all incur there is equally a very large proportion of expense that is out of pocket in the form of paying for a doctor's visit mm. paying for a visit to a diagnostic center in case if you want to have any kind of an emergency services to be made available mm. if you want to order pharmacy through the medical shops now all of these are out of pocket expenses in today's context they are not necessarily covered through insurance at all and by the way out of the total healthcare spends two thirds are out of pocket which is not in any form of insurance at all now that's the opportunity and today from an icc lombard perspective we are looking at opd as a key driver of growth beyond the normal hospitalization insurance opportunity that i spoke about in uh, in my earlier uh, response to your question one and finally on motor i said there is half the vehicles that is without an insurance that's the opportunity now for in motor i think there are two elements that you have to be mindful of one there are some price restrictions and two certain segments are free to price and therefore as an organization you have to be nimble footed so that you are able to reorient or rather kind of do the portfolio mix as and when kind of time plays out and one of the strengths that icc lombard has we have been extremely nimble footed in our ability to re reorient the portfolio mix in terms of the profitable outcome and for that you need to have appropriate distribution reach be it in terms of access to dealerships where the vehicle gets sold or even for the matter of fact your agents with whom you kind of work with and more importantly in the current context you have to create a digital capability mm. that's how we are kind of leveraging on each of this opportunity in the way how icc lombard is positioning itself will the approach to do you think health insurance change now and if what are some of the things you see happening because you would be right now getting so much of data right like what's happening absolutely i think that's a great question to ask shraddha uh, if you look at uh, health while i spoke about the opportunity that the segment presents now before that let me just kind of i mean this is something that we have seen doing many a times when we have done conferences when we have done events and when we have seen a lot of people attending those conferences or events we just kind of do a show of hands and ask in terms of saying maybe this could be about 3 years back we continue to do that year on year and ask them what proportion of people would want to have some form of a health cover very few hands will go up particularly those who are below the age of 45 unko lagta hai ki nothing will happen to me and right. only once i cross the age of 45 is when i need to even start thinking about having a health insurance covered that's all we our mindset was let's say some years back but as and when we have seen things getting emerged over a period of time we have seen unfortunately some of our friends someone in the family some of our colleagues 
succumbing to some form of a health ailment yeah. we have seen the impact of that particular event playing through in the family of those members yeah. and there <clears throat> you immediately realize the need to have a health insurance covered and that is exactly what we are going through at this point of time and this is an event which we would categorize as any other catastrophic event it is just that the event of a catastrophe is impacting the health of all of us mm. and thankfully when you see the demand that has got arisen as a result of this event getting played out we have clearly seen a pent up demand happening on the need for having a health cover mm. but more importantly when you look at the health space let's look at as i said corporates taking a cover for their employees and let's take a retail or let's say an individual taking a cover for self or their family members because i'm in the mood to possibly put some data points back to you let me kind of do that again now do any sense on what kind of coverages would a corporate take for their employees in terms of the extent of coverage gopal don't ask me all these questions you tell me right again a difficult one right yeah. so if you look at today roughly a corporate would take a coverage of 300000 rupees for their employees average mm. that's the kind of coverage that they take and um, and this will be like some of them may be generous and they may possibly do a slightly higher one but most of when when we look at uh, insuring these companies they kind of take anywhere between 300000 sometimes between ranging between 300 to 400000 now now let's look at this in the context of what the government has announced uh, if you look at the aishman bharat scheme mm. the government which has kind of said to offer uh, health insurance uh, benefit to the vulnerable section of the society Mm. they have talked about offering a coverage of up to 500000 wow so the minimum i mean when you look at it from the corporate standpoint the minimum you have to do is at least get it up to 500000 ideally more because the the section of the people are completely different that's where lies the opportunity in so far as the corporate health is concerned and the reason why we say this as i said if you see someone getting into a hospital look at the cost of treatment look at the billing that comes to each of their family members it's exorbitant it's significant and therefore there is a need for you to be adequately insured yeah uh, otherwise you will have to again have a situation of paying out of your pockets yeah. in terms of the savings that you have made so that's the opportunity on the corporate side retail as i spoke about indemnity what you are taking is only hospitalization insurance the out of pocket spends of visiting a doctor visiting a diagnostic center ordering a medicines through a pharmacy chain if you want to avail of an emergency services now all of this are with respect to the opd element of the spends and there is clearly enough and more opportunity that exists in so far as again expanding the coverage on the health side is concerned so in a nutshell given that the penetration levels both on the corporate and the retail side is extremely lower at this point of time with this event we have seen heightened levels of awareness amongst all of us and more importantly i'm sure the next time i do an event and i ask how many people would want to have a health insurance covered i'm sure there is going to be a significant increase in the number of hands that will show up risk management should no longer be regarded as a compliance function but as a business partner so how does one go about setting a culture of risk management in the company no no absolutely again i think that's the fundamental if you ask me for any organization hmm. i think it's all about risk culture which drives the organization to whatever objectives that you set for yourselves 
Now, if you look at, there are well-established standards. And now, whether you look at the ISO uh, 31,000 standards, which defines how, what kind of risk cultures or organization requires to exhibit. Even if you look at COSO, for the matter of fact, they lay down how should your uh, risk culture being uh, driven at. Now, if you look at both of the standards, generally articulate that it is the tone from the top that sets the basis for defining a risk culture. And if you look at it from our standpoint, I think right from the top, whether it is the board or even let's say the risk committee thereafter, and then let's say the executive management and down the line as we kind of move down the value curve, Something that kind of binds all of us together for ICS Lombard has been risk culture. And um, if you look at, thankfully, I think, I mean, when I talked about ISO 31000 certification, ICS Lombard, maybe about a couple of years back in April 2018, when we got ourselves certified under the ISO 31000-2018 framework, we were the first Indian company to get that certified. And one of the things that they look about when you look at uh, risk management practices, they effectively look at risk governance that the organization has set up. They equally look at what kind of risk culture exists in the organization. And equally, one of the other areas which they lay a lot of emphasis on is what kind of controls and self-assessment processes that you have been able to institute as an organization. So from our standpoint, right from the top, as I said, there is a culture that kind of spans across the entire value chain of the organization. And that sets the tone for the way we have been operating. Besides the numerous internal committees that we will have, whether it is outsourcing, whether it is operational risk, whether it is market risk, I think the key for all of this is the continued involvement of each and every relevant stakeholders as a part of these forums is what sets the context in the way we have looked at culture for ICC uh, Lombard. And some of the areas or some of the initiatives that we drive in order to ensure that the culture, culture stays intact for the organization at large is one, we end up taking regular training sessions. Everyone talks about it, but genuinely we have a calendarized approach when it comes to training sessions so that every new joining who joins the organization is equally exposed to the enterprise risk management framework that we have set for ourselves. So training becomes of foremost, foremost importance. In each of the internal uh, functions that we have, there is a nominated risk champion because that is again equally important. It's not just about a risk function which drives the culture for the organization. Each of the other stakeholder functions which are operating in the organization equally needs to be in, uh, uh, mindful of the culture that they are kind of imbibing. So there is a notified risk champion that's there in each of the functions. Equally, what happens is there are different levels of uh, training codes that we give as the organization matures the curve in terms of uh, knowledge, uh, the, the knowledge or skill that the person gets. In one of the codes, unless and until the employee doesn't clear the module on risk management, he or she will not be able to be certified with that particular level of coding for moving up the value curve in terms of knowledge or skill set. So in that sense, we have equally made it compulsory for employees to necessarily take an examination on risk management in case if you want to be kind of certified in respect of the skill set that he or she has acquired. The other important aspect when it comes to culture 
as we kind of work on various products and various processes, the involvement of the risk team is again a mandatory requirement. In each of the product management committee or whether it is of the process approval committees, the presence of the risk function is of paramount importance so that that person looks at the risks that are associated with the launching of the product or the launch of the process. So all in all, if you ask me, I think risk management over the years have evolved. And truly, if you ask me one word that kind of binds the entire organization, that would be risk culture. You know, so I want to ask you, Gopal, how does one go about setting standards or guidelines for risk appetite as well as risk tolerance within an organization? Again, a great question, uh, Shraddha. I think, as I said, one is a risk culture that binds the organization at large, which is right across the value chain. But more importantly, the guiding force which drives an organization to work effectively is the boundaries within which you want to operate at. Now, that's what gets determined by way of a risk appetite statement, which is generally the tonality again at the top in terms of what's the boundary that the organization wants to work with insofar as the appetite of the organization is concerned. Now, there cannot be one size fit all solution for a risk appetite statement because every organization, one, will have its own strategic objective. Two, the pillars within which you want to run an organization could be very different from company to company. And hence, to that extent, it all depends on what do you set as a strategic objective of an organization and then correspondingly calibrate an appetite statement, which will help you to operate within that. Now, if you looked at initially what I spoke about for ICS Lombard, for us, the strategic objective that we run as an organization is profitable growth. Now, within that is what we define our risk appetite. And generally, when you talk about defining a risk appetite for any organization, it is better to keep it confined to two or three key matrices and not have those long full page risk appetite statements that you generally some of the companies may possibly get into all of those. So instead of getting into too many appetite statements, keep it simple. Two, three key matrices. It is what should drive insofar as the appetite is concerned. Now within that, the appetite could be either qualitative or it could be quantitative. Nothing wrong in the way you describe either of the approaches, but purely if you ask me out of the experience that one has seen over the years, it's always helps to keep the appetite through a quantitative standpoint mm -hmm. because the measurability of it against the boundaries that you have set for the organization becomes much more easier as compared to just having a qualitative kind of a appetite statement that you want to define yourself set. So, that in a nutshell is what I would say so far as the approach to appetite is concerned. Tolerances, unlike appetite, which comes from the top, as I said, risk appetite is defined from a top down approach. Tolerances are more slightly granular because it impacts the various organizations in terms of the risk areas that they are operating at. Hence, there it's important to get the tolerances defined from a bottoms up approach. So, you need to kind of, when it comes to risk tolerances, because it impacts individual units in the way they are running their operations. Insofar as risk tolerances are concerned, take a bottoms up approach, involve every stakeholder as a part of that activity. And the tolerances should also be defined in such a manner that you are able to get alerts when you need them the most. And you are able to swing into action and so that you are able to take some kind of a mitigative solution. So that's the approach that one would advocate when it comes to setting a risk 
appetite statement or more importantly let's say the risk tolerances within each of those sub areas of risk the other side of risk is opportunity and losing an opportunity is equally a risk so what is the potential silver lining or opportunity that you are currently seeing at the end of this pandemic honestly if you ask me i am not sure when the end of the pandemic will happen yeah. because uh, as we all do not know as to how long we will have to possibly be subject ourselves to whatever we are going through at this point of time but as i said in the initial comments when i kind of made i think the long term prospect for the sector looks extremely positive yeah and so long as you as an organization have built solid footings in the way you want to kind of run your institutions it will be valued a lot with respect to various stakeholders now that's in that sense a kind of a 36000 feet response in in the way how one would look at it right now let's try and get more specific around it now when you look at the a customer a customer would like to place their risk with an institution which is strong in terms of their balance sheet an institution which is quite solid in terms of their solvency or capital adequacy positions and third they would like to place a, their risk with an institution which is known for excellence in customer service or claim service because that's the product that you fundamentally sell as an organization and fourthly they would want to place the risk with an institution which kind of stands for very solid risk governance and control mechanism now that's what we have tried to build as an institution over the years we have tried to kind of create a reasonably strong balance sheet as an organization which will help us to take risk capacities even in this uncertain times if you look at our solvency or capital adequacy position of the organization relative to the regulatory minimum norms that has been laid out we are very well capitalized as an organization yeah and thirdly in terms of claim service one of the things that we keep telling our customers is policy is not the product that we sell an insurance policy is not what we sell mm. what we sell is a promise to pay a claim to a genuine customer right. so if you are able to get a claim out of an insurance company and with speed and efficiency and quality i think customers will value a lot value a lot and which is what i was giving an example of a value added services where i spoke about internet of things i mean iot devices being instituted for various risk solutions that's where we see a silver lining in so in these uncertain times a lot of corporates their factories are shut their let's say working plants are shut there is every possibility that when the factories get to reopen because it is kept in a not used manner for a long period of time there can be a lot of claims that could arise there could be a misfunctioning that could arise and today in these times from an icsl lombard perspective we are reaching out to corporates we are giving a lot of do's and don'ts so that as and when they kind of reopen their factories or plants they are in a position to not necessarily experience unfortunate challenges and in the process they are able to get back to business as usual in the way they would want they would have expected it to be so that's one thing that we are doing let's say from a corporate customer standpoint if you look at on the sme side when i kind of spoke that there has been a significant advocation of digital by the intermediary or let's say even the distributors are concerned today 90% of the policies that we sell on in these times on the sme side has been through significant use of digital so again we see a silver lining in so far as the opportunity in the sme space is concerned on motor 
everyone knows today new vehicle sales is not happening tell me how many customers are really looking at buying a vehicle at this point of time even if you want to maybe you will not get one at this point because <laughs> a lot of uh, facilities are being closed right yeah. so in these times what clearly helps is the ability of an organization to be able to retain your existing customers and that's where we are putting a lot of emphasis on to try and make sure that a large number of our existing customers they are ensuring continuity of cover so that mm -hmm. in the event if there is a claim that can come through you are able to kind of meet their claim obligations quite effectively and in that regard we did announce a crm acquisition in quarter 3 of last year and that's coming in extremely handy for us to be able to reach out to our uh, customers and able to kind of sustain the increasing amount of retentions of those categories of uh, customers finally from our standpoint i think when you look at um, what icis lombard has done over the years we have kind of insourced a lot of our service capability now whether you look at for motor claim assessment it's our own automobile engineers who are employees of icis lombard when you look at health it's doctors who are employees of icis lombard one of the things which you read out as a part of giving my introduction was internal control and loss minimization unit now that unit in a simple term is a fraud management unit mm. so there are investigators who are employees of icis lombard so there are we have insourced our call center so a lot of people would outsource their call center facility what we did a decision about 5 years back was also to insource our call center facility which will help us to continue giving support even in these times so in that sense the decision to insource has also come in extremely handy and those are how one is seeing a silver lining even in these scenarios where lot of us are talking about when will growth come back when will things come back to normalcy but there is always an opportunity in times of adversity is what one has seen and that's what we are kind of working towards to be able to sustain reasonable levels of growth for icis lombard you know so you wrote an interesting blog and opinion piece on protecting organizations in an ever changing risk landscape and now is of course a very critical time to be discussing this topic given the covid-19 scenario given your position as chief financial officer and chief risk officer of icici lombard what are the various measures that you are taking at this point to minimize risk protect your balance sheet and work towards growth considering there is increased volatility not increased too much of volatility and uncertainty in the overall economy so lot of questions that you have kind of put it on that so let me try and address each of them uh, so uh, let's look at let's so the three parts to it right one is what am i doing to minimize risk two how am i ensuring my balance sheet is protected and three how am i still ensuring growth continues for the organization right yeah. now when you look at minimizing risk i think there are two key levers that one would want to talk about yeah. i mean today employees are our asset is our assets they are the biggest asset for any organization and in a service industry employees becomes far more important yeah. so the foremost yeah. thing that comes to any person's mind for an organization in these times is safety of employees and that's yeah. where we want to kind of put a lot of emphasis on and we did i mean pretty much similar to some of the organizations that would have done i mean early ahead of the day early days we started off with temperature checking even at times when it was not in that sense made mandatory so that every person 
is safe in the institution. We ensured that we kind of did away with all forms of travels, whether it was domestic, international, any kind of physical trainings, conferences, events that has opened up an opportunity for digital marketing companies, which is great to see. But uh, in that sense, I think we have kind of cut down on some of those elements, keeping in mind the employee safety. The third piece is the most important piece because while it is easy to set a committee at the top, which looks at employee safety, but more importantly, the ears of the organization should be to the ground. Mm. And hence, it's important that you are able to kind of create a two way process of mm. having a management committee, which looks equally at employee safety, but more importantly, get the ground level feedback in terms of specific point of contacts that you want to create in the organization. Mm. So what we did was to kind of divide the organization into multiple regional centers or points of contact, whichever way you want to call it. And there were designated spots who were created for across the country just mm. to kind of get a feeler of what's happening on the ground and relayed back to the management committee. So in that sense, it was not just a monologue of instructions just getting passed from the top to the rest of the organization. It was a two way process. The management committee timely intervening whatever is required from a safety standpoint, but equally on the ground, if things are operating differently, the feedback has kind of gone up. So employee safety is of paramount importance when it comes to minimizing risk. The second important aspect is because we are talking of employee safety, all of us are working for out of their out of our residences today. There was a need to ensure business continuity. So that's yeah, the other yeah. risks that one has to uh, manage. And thankfully, I think we were able to swing into action and whatever technology infrastructure that all of our people required to be able to meet the requirements of our various stakeholders. And by the way, I don't know whether you realize it or not. Insurance was an essential service. So we were not shut. We had to kind of continue exhibiting service to our various stakeholders. And hence, to that extent, it became all the more responsible for us to be able to institute appropriate technology support to all our people. And to be honest, we were not able to manage it 100% in the first week. We didn't get everything correct. We also had our own challenges of being able to be operationalized completely. But as we kind of moved along, I think we were able to make the right interventions. And in the process today, we are able to say with a great level of certainty that completely we are able to operate pretty much similar to what we would have normally done. Of course, there are some challenges and nuances in terms of what we have seen about 20 minutes back. There are those tech challenges that do come up, but uh, in the overall scheme of things, I would say that business continuity happens to the second area where we have looked at it from a risk management standpoint. Uh, quickly touching upon a couple of other areas on balance sheet protection. I think, as I said, we would want to continue to be seen ourselves as a company with a strong balance sheet mm. and a high solvency. Now, when you look at insurance operations, I mean, when you look at ICSA Lombard, we are a company which does insurance operations and we do investment management as well. Now, while I, I have spoken a lot in terms of what I do on the insurance side, equally, if, you, if I were to look at my business model, it's pretty simple. All that I do is I take money from all of you. I kind of use it for putting into investments till the time I have to pay back to you in the form of claims. That's my simple business model. So I get the money on day one, use that money as float. I put the money in various investment assets 
and whatever returns you want i kind of generate the returns and then use that money in order to meet the various obligations that i have whether it is claim whether it is my acquisition cost all of that is something that i have to manage out of the money that i collect that's my simple business model given that i manage money as well belonging to the policy holders which i have to pay back in the form of claims it's important that i put a lot of emphasis and prudence on investment management and while we again de-risk our investment book in terms of investing into some equities mein kuch paisa laga liya we put some monies in government securities we put some money in corporate bonds but i can tell you because of our prudence on investment management mm-hmm. in our last 20 years of our existence particularly on the corporate bond side or on the fixed income portfolio we haven't seen one single instance of delayed payment of interest forget about default in the portfolio well, i mean we have kind of been able to thankfully it's a, in that sense we have not had a, it's a zero default situation and thanks to the so we will never want to compromise ki 25 basis point yield ke liye i will compromise the principle of the investment that i make so that's the level of prudence that we have advocated as an organization and in the process that helps me to protect my balance sheet so that's one of the core elements that we largely focus on when it comes to balance sheet protection and quickly talking on the growth levers i think as i said even in these times we have seen um, our sme business doing very well uh, we have also looked at various elements of um, cost management that we can institute as an organization and more importantly again i don't know whether you have noticed thanks for saying that you have an icsa lombard uh, health insurance policy but in these times we did launch also a product which just covers covid 19 risk event oh so if someone gets detected on account of covid 19 the product will pay for a particular amount of some insured between 25000 to 50000 depending on what kind of coverage that you take it is oh, all very the- important very oh i didn't know that this is very significant the only thing in this is just to ensure that we don't run its risk of adverse selection mm. the product is available in a group group construct because mm. you want to have the benefit of the group and hence to that extent if you are a part of a group you will be able to get this covid 19 product and in case for whatever reason if any member of your group subjects to a detection of a covid 19 the policy will it's a benefit product there is no assessment you get paid a lump sum compensation depending oh. on the level of coverage that you take so that's the other aspect that we look at when it comes to introducing oh, new products i want to ask you when did you launch this this is very agile this is uh, towards end of march we launched it on march 23rd to be precise and uh, because we thought in these times it's important to kind of also come out with product even the regulator expects us to do that because at the end of the day we are largely kind of meeting the requirements of a policy holder right so we have the obligation to come out with product ideas which are equally relevant in this periods of uncertainty so that's one thing that we launched the other aspect what we also did from a growth lever while these are in the phase of experimentation at this point of time the regulator allows us to experiment with sandbox technologies now sandbox technologies are essentially where you come out with innovative ideas in product or distribution areas and you are given a window period of let's say 6 months to experiment those ideas and test out and see how the outcome of the product is now there have been two rounds of scrutiny of applications that the regulator has done in these two rounds 
we got about six approvals of which three of them were in motor now motor may essentially the way the approvals that we have got is pretty simple ones for example today you can pay a premium basis the extent of mileage that you have driven agar apne 10000 kilometers drive kiya you can pay corresponding to that the other other way other approval that we got to experiment was pay how you drive are you a reasonably safe driver or are you an aggressive driver and the telematics can detect that ki kitna speed se aap brakes lagate ho or mm. how fast you kind of drive your vehicle so all those information can be made available and you can actually price for the risk corresponding to pay how you drive and for all those who are relatively luxurious customers who have more than one vehicle or maybe two three depending on whatever number of vehicles that they have there is an element of motor floater because the tendency of an individual is to forget ki are renewal kab hoga so one renewal may be in april the other renewal could be in july so there there is a possibility that and you may not use all the vehicles with the same level of uh, depth so there is a motor floater which helps you to take just one policy for all of your motor vehicles that you have and you remember one date one price and you are able to get the benefit of the risk now those are things what we are looking at also possibilities of growth levers but as i said at this point of time these are in a sandbox stage if these are in a phase of experimentation once the period of testing gets over we will go back to the regulator tell them this is the outcome of adoption by the customers and if it kind of works well we will launch it on a commercial basis and that's how we see the evolution of it playing out even in so far as opportunities you are a chief risk officer also then you are due to doing this very passionately because like and i think somewhere that also leads to outcomes that at the end of the day you have to have the right people who drive things yeah. absolutely so which is what we keep saying i think i mean i'm just kind of stressing it for the sake of repetition risk culture acts at the core and if you are able to get that piece correct i think the objective that you set for the organization i don't think there is any reason why you cannot achieve your outcomes there would be temporary blips there would be temporary reasons for us to be I and mean, which every institution goes through right it's never a uniform curve there is always curves which is ups and downs but the question is so long as your risk culture is intact your and your people support is there with you which is where i said in so far as the measures are concerned employee safety is of paramount of course customers are equally important but that's the other handle that we kind of put a lot of emphasis on yeah 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 you know gopal uh, how is icici lombarding leveraging technology abhi to it's become ubiquitous but how are you because we still don't see at least your <laughs> space as you know doing great in technology you have to tell us what are you doing <laughs> unfortunately we, maybe we have not communicated enough i think that's what it looks like uh, but i can only tell you that uh, now i talked about a lot of innovations that we did on the sourcing side right in terms of what we are doing to customer in order to manage risk now and i also talked about saying that uh, my for me my insurance policy is the main product uh, the claim is the main product now given that claim is the most essential product that we kind of sell i can't deliver scale if i don't use technology yeah. so hence yeah. to that extent it kind of acts as a backbone in terms of whatever we do as an organization now in that regard let me just put out put down quickly 
three or four key areas where we are using technology, right? Now, when you look at, let's say, an SME customer, it's not a simple product. It's a slightly, in that sense, a relatively complex product for us to be able to underwrite. This is from a sourcing standpoint. Now, what we have done is we have used chatbots. Hmm. We have used and what we call it as robotic assistance, whichever way you want to kind of call it. And the name that we have given for this on the SME side is Myra. It is M Y R A. It's my robotic assistance. Wow. So we use that. And today there is no human intervention involved in the generation of a code process. So the entire thing happens without an intervention of a person. And in the process, there is a list of designated fields that you're required to kind of feed the information into. Mm. And there's a designated email to which it goes. The email reads or let's say, let's say the chatbot automatically reads those information. And through the use of robotic assistance, we are able to issue a code to the customer. So just imagine a situation 11 o'clock in the night, you want to have a policy on the SME side. You may say that mera agent hai nahi. whom do I call up? Kisse baat for me to get that code. That's a general apprehension that one would get, right? It was only in that context, we thought it would be useful to have this kind of a capability put in place in so far wow. as use of chatbots is concerned. So that's, and when I said SME, we were able to sell 90% of our policies digitally. It was only possible through use of my robotic assistance. Wow. So you know, we love to say, play that. Yeah, we love to show that. Very impressive, very impressive. Yeah. You should actually kind of experiment some of those. Yeah. Let me kind of move into a couple of other areas. Since we are talking about health and motor as well, let's talk of health. The typical challenge what we experience when un for unfortunate reasons we have to get admitted as a hospital is a pain point of getting an authorization request from the insurance company. It's called AL, authority letter, AL letter, Joby, whatever name you want to kind of call it, right? And the typical process would be there will be information sent by the TPA desk of the hospital to the insurance company. The insurance company would assess. Thankfully, in our case, I said it is our own doctors who assess those papers and then decide based on the treatment for which the person has got admitted, sanction and authorization request for a particular amount. Just imagine the person is there in the hospital waiting for this authorization request to come and then let's say the treatment gets started. Unless it's a case of an emergency for which, of course, treatments will happen. Today, with the help of artificial intelligence, this entire process of an authorization request, which used to take few hours earlier, we are able to get that done in 90 seconds. Mm. And so the experience now that the customer exhibits on this authorization letter uh, turnaround is significantly superior. And the customer is extremely happy with the way you are able to give that kind of a service back to them. So that's on the health side. On motor, we traditionally started off with a physical survey process. If the damage in the you send a surveyor on the field, uh -huh. damage assessment and all of that happens, right? Uh -huh. I think over last eight years back, we said, why do we need to, uh, I mean, send a physical survey? We said, let equip the surveyors with the use of a tablet so that they are able to take all of that. And in the process, they don't have to come to the office to feed the information. So that was an improvisation to the physical survey process. But about three, four years back, we said, why do we even need to use a tablet for the surveyor? Rather, the garage person, if we can give an app to that uh, individual and at the back end where my 
claim service manager sits at the hubs or in the offices, there is a live video streaming that can happen. So yeah. in fact, it is, let's assume that I am the garage person. I am sitting in a workshop. You are the claim service manager of ICSA Lombard. You are sitting at the hubs and I'm using an app through which both of us are doing real-time live video streaming of claims. And there is an impact assessment of the damage taking place through a video streaming and that's live. And there is a voiceover that happens between the two of us. And in the process, what used to take a significant number of days for the survey to get completed, you're doing it then and there. There are defined time periods that have been for which slots are given and you carry out the live video streaming of claims. That's mm. the third step where we kind of improvised on. Finally, we said, why do we even need to uh, get the garage person to do? Of course, we will get the garage person to also do the live video streaming of claims. Mm. We said, why don't we create the capability for the customer? So today, we have created an app through which the customer can actually undertake the survey. of oh. the week. And uh, you can actually kind of uh, get that part uh, experienced as well. So that's an improvisation. I think over a period of time, what we have been able to do is use of technology in every spectrum of the business that we kind of underwrite, whether it is corporate, whether it is health, whether you look at SME, whether you look at motor. Uh, I spoke about the Internet of Things, IoT is wherever we are able to deploy for uh, use of technology. All of this has significantly aided in the way we have run operations. And this without compromising on quality, because that's extremely important, because the service that you want to exhibit to the customer has to be of paramount importance, so without compromising on quality, but at the same time, ensuring that you're able to exercise control over the entire survey process, and as an outcome, get efficiency and productivity. So that's how we have looked at technology in the way how ICS Lombard has experienced them. What are the various measures being taken by the regulatory authorities, given that companies are operating in a lockdown scenario in this COVID world? Again, a very, very important stakeholder. I mean, end of the day, they are the one who govern us. Uh, so we have to be uh, extremely be mindful of what obligations do we have with the regulator as well. Uh, thankfully, we have a regulator which is very, very proactive. Mm. Uh, I think from an IRDAI perspective, I think they have generally come out with uh, guidelines, notifications, regulations, keeping in mind the larger development of the industry. And more importantly, in these times, they have actually come out on a proactive basis on various regulations, keeping in mind the interest of the policyholders. Like for banking, it is depositors. Here for insurance companies, it is a policyholder's interest that has to be safeguarded at all times. And in that regard, they have come out with a whole set of regulation on a proactive basis. Just to kind of talk about a few of them. I mean, in these times when let's say the extent of disposable income of people are relatively lower, what they have done is they have given an extended time period for payment of premiums. So let's say, for example, your renewals were due after March 25th. In the normal course, you would have required to pay the premium at that point of renewal. Here they have said, given that there is a situation of a lockdown, they have given an extended period of almost close to 45 days for you to pay the premium. So all renewals that were due after March 25th until May 3rd, the regulator gave an extended period of payment up till May 15th. Yeah. And so in that sense, that helps customers to slightly, in that sense, take a decision to renew the policies at a later date. But the coverage will be from day one. It is not that the coverage happens from the time you pay the premium. So in that sense, it's a beneficial regulation for the policyholder. 
equally what they have done is on motor third party uh, slightly technical one of the premiums that you pay for a motor insurance premium is a third party liability if your vehicle hits a pedestrian on the road there is a third party liability that accrues normally every year the regulator increases the premium on motor third party this year they have said they will not do any increase they have put the increase on hold again keeping in mind that there is a challenge happening for the entire market and in these times you cannot kind of burden the policy holder with that increment of amount of premium so they have put the motor third party price increase on hold until further notice they have eased a lot of regulatory compliances i mean there is a lot of returns informations that we were required to file with the regulator they have kind of eased the burden on the extent of compliances that we are required to do as a company that's a proactive step equally they have kind of eased a lot of claim servicing processes so they have said you can take information through digital means and in the process settle the claims so again a extremely proactive step and finally for companies they have said you have to be prudent in management of your financial resources and they have laid a lot of emphasis on ensuring that we have adequate solvency so that we are able to meet the policy holder obligations so in that sense i would say in line with what the regulator has been over the last so many years very very proactive in these times and they have come out with measures which will be in the larger interest of the policy holder protection one is that i of course want to understand from you what's your sense on the overall economy and macro factors at play we are a developing country and it's very important to get a sense where we are and where do you think we are going towards honestly it's a difficult answer for me to respond but i will try and make uh, make an attempt to it right uh, i kind of spoke about the long term prospects for the sector Uh, I, if you remember uh, some of the data points, insurance penetration for non-life was 0.97 percent. Mm. The world average was 2.8 percent. Mm. Uh, so in that sense, the the probability of us coming back to normalcy and continuing with our requirements of an insurance need across mm. the spectrum of the value curve mm. is not gone. That has to kind of come back. Yeah. And in that regard, if you would have seen. the government over the last 5 days have announced a spate of fiscal measures in that sense in order to kind of rekindle the economic activities and at the same time make the country as a self reliant economy so in that regard a lot of measures have got announced over the last 5 days in specific at the behest of the speech that the prime minister has announced and those are all measures to kind of get back the economy back into shape and in terms of the long term opportunity one of the studies that have been done by global reinsurers is when they have looked at various economies in the globe at different levels of per capita of those countries they have seen that whenever the country is in a per capita level of between 1500 dollars to 2000 dollars growth of the non life insurance sector tends to be 2 to 2 and a half times the growth of the gdp of the country that's the opportunity that the sector presents and today when you look at india india is at that per capita threshold of 1500 to 2000 and from here it's a hockey stick it's called an s curve at the s curve we are at that levels of at the at the start of the hockey stick and over and with the level of penetration that we are talking about the prospect for the sector in terms of coming back is significantly enormous 
temporarily there will always be as as i keep saying some stress in levels of growth particularly for fy21 but i'm sure keeping in mind the opportunity that i spoke about one should expect economy to kind of come back to shape and within that insurance will be a key contributor to the overall economic growth of the country from your experience your background and your passion and enthusiasm i just feel that you're like you are doing so well and you are uh, you know icsa lombard is doing so phenomenally is also because they have leaders like you and you're so passionate about this whole general insurance and honestly it has been a master class for all of us i just want to you know you're saying that the the space has such an opportunity and it is going to be a hockey stick growth i want to understand from you for young people today right the young workforce how should they look at general insurance as a category let me try to count on my fingers how many professions can i the general insurance space uh, give opportunities to work for uh, i said on motor it is automobile engineers hmm. who can come and join us to work with so there is space for automobile engineers there is space for doctors i mean doctors can kind of come and work with us because we are in the field of uh, health insurance i spoke about data and analytics i mean so there is space for data scientists for all those millennials people who are wanting to create a career in data coding data modeling there is role for there is space for data scientists mm. i spoke about i mean again just to kind of recap you spoke about internal control and loss minimization unit which is my fraud control unit there is space for investigators so investigators are there as employees of icsa lombard today so there is space for even that prof profession to uh, have a role in the sector i spoke about insourcing of call center facility so all those people who want to create a career in the field of service to customers there is a space for them to kind of work with us so they can continue to exhibit a first hand service directly in so far as uh, the current millennials are concerned mm. we all are working through work from homes right so that by itself poses a security risk on the information security side yeah. so there is space for information security professionals also to work as an employee of the organization given that i spoke about data there is space for actuaries actuaries plays a very very important role in so far as pricing and reserving and the overall uh, uh, working of the organization is concerned so there is space for actuaries to uh, work for the organization more importantly if you have to have all of these people you need to have hr specialists you have to have someone who is able to kind of get them to on board each of these professions who can play a meaningful role in the long term success of the organization besides the usual ones that you would normally get to see in any organizations you would obviously need finance people i mean there is role for clearly there role for finance we manage investment funds so you you can be a treasury specialist so there is space for even a treasury specialist to kind of work in the sector so in a nutshell this is a sector which has doors open for as many roles that you can think about unfortunately i ran out of my fingers when i started counting each of them and that's what i would say to the current millennials i mean this is a sector depending on where you have your opportunities in there is a role for all of you what keeps you so excited because you know i've just seen how passionately you've been 
talking about the space and you've been in general insurance for last two decades and you've been in the space for a lot many more years what keeps you so excited even today uh in what you're doing what's what is the drive i think honestly that's a secret in terms of uh, how one keeps uh, himself or herself motivated uh, but honestly i think what one has largely advocated uh, in terms of uh, over the last uh, so many years i think you have to you have to have a reason to go back to work the next day that's important i think so long as you feel that you have a work on the following day that keeps you motivated and that will come out of the experiences that you have kind of gained in the institution over the last so many years and the reason why you tend to be motivated a lot is also the flexibility and the charge that the organization kind of reposes on you as an individual yeah. which will make you to kind of get into that kind of a feeling and you are able to come back that's the most important thing i would say in terms of what keeps oneself charged the second important thing i would say is maintaining humility i think as organizations increase in scale size uh, maybe get a lot of uh, let's say accolades or whatever uh, things that you would get to experience the most important thing is always be humble and maintain humility and keep your feet on the ground i think that's the second most important piece i would say which would kind of help organizations to uh, personally for me if you ask me that's helped me to kind of maintain the current momentum that one has seen over the last uh, so many years the last of the piece which is the most important piece is your team i think the team matters a lot i think you as an individual cannot while you can create a difference but what makes an and beyond exceeding organization or an excellent organization is the team which kind of works for the larger interest beyond self i think that kind of keeps one motivated i think i would say these are the three elements which kind of helps what one has seen over the last so many years wow thank you so much gopal this has been a phenomenal learning uh, 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 conversation and now i think everyone watching this and people have stayed so many have stayed throughout uh, this conversation would we have now a better understanding of general insurance and there are so many things that you are driving and icici lombard is doing uh, look forward to having more conversations because uh, uh, i think we need to bring insurance risk management more into our conversations and and what better time than now to absolutely and thank you thank you everyone for your patient hearing and let me kind of repeat what i started off at the beginning in these uncertain times at shraddha what you rightly mentioned all of us have to continue to stay safe stay healthy that's the most important thing that i would kind of significantly get all of you to 